This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. This week, we feature one of the most well-known and acclaimed storytellers in Chicago. He's got a great story, and we're really excited to bring it to you. This week on the Second Story Podcast, it's me. My name's Ozzy Totten, and I'm a company member here with Second Story. Here we go. Doop dee da da dum dee da boo dee bee da ba ba da da dum. He sang through this toothy wide grin spread over his round face. I love that musical, Ozzy. Rogers and Hammerstein at their best. And I was shaking my head and staring out the window, eyes rolling in the passenger seat. Uh, it's a fun one, I guess. It's kind of silly. What do you mean, silly? It's Cinderella. It's gorgeous. When you and Michelle did it in middle school, it was great. I was driving home to Minnesota for Christmas break with my best friend Michelle's father. We were flying up the Kennedy, downtown Chicago, fading fast in the rearview mirror. Harvey was behind the wheel of his small Honda Civic, the dark blue of the car blending into the indigo night sky behind us. Harvey, that's what I'm saying. We did that play in middle school. This is college. It's embarrassing. No, no, not at all. Michelle's college is doing guys and dolls, you know. Sometimes it's good to take a mature look at a classic show that's ruined by school kids, you know? I guess. Wait, Michelle's doing guys and dolls? Well, no, she's not doing it. She didn't audition, actually. And this surprised me because Michelle, Harvey's daughter, wanted to perform in musicals more than anybody that I knew. Why not? She actually, she's really thinking about moving back to Minnesota. She's lonely, you know? She misses her sisters. Wisconsin's just not working out for her. It makes sense, I nodded. You know, it's always surprised me that she went out of state in the first place. You guys are so close. And Harvey smiled. I really do miss her, Ozzy. Don't tell her this, but I'm pretty happy she's moving back. He clicked on the radio, and this bad mid-80s soft rock crawled out from underneath the windshield. I unclicked my seatbelt, sinking into my passenger seat, casually kicking off my shoes. This late-night road trip was going to be a long one. Chicago to St. Paul, eight hours, just Harvey and myself. He had called my mother a few weeks earlier. I'll be in Chicago for work right around when Ozzy's semester is ending. If he doesn't have a ticket home, I'd love the company. And that was all it took for my mother, who called me with the plan. But mom, I protested, that's such a long drive. Everybody else is flying. Why can't I fly? Ozzy, plane tickets are expensive. It's either drive home with Harvey or coming home will be your Christmas present. Well, fine. My best gay Sam, he laughed. <laughs> I can't believe you're driving home with him when, he, when we would Facebook pictures of Harvey on Michelle's profile. He looks like a bald Pikachu. Sam, it's not like I'm trying to kiss him. I'm just driving home with him. <laughs> well, maybe you're not trying to kiss him. And I slapped Sam's arm playfully. Who was that boy you were waiting with outside? When I picked you up, Harvey inquired. Is he someone special? And I sighed because Sam really was someone special to his boyfriend. It's complicated, I, I guess. I mean, he's great. And Harvey, I really do love him. It, it, it's going to work. It's going to work. He's a very pretty boy, Oz. You'd be a great couple. 
Harvey was always really supportive of my relationships. He would often ask me the details of my romantic and what life that he gleaned from his daughter. I remember when Michelle told him that I was gay our freshman year of high school, he gave me this giant bear hug that evening in the aisles of our high school auditorium. It was one of those enveloping, over-eager hugs that parents will sometimes give to show their extra support. Great performance, he told me, and I was never really clear if he meant the show he had just seen or my coming out. We drove off into the evening, the sunset spitting the last beams of pink into the December night sky as Harvey asked me all about my first semester of college. Now, I hadn't been particularly looking forward to this road trip, but as we entered Wisconsin, I began to loosen up. Classes? Boring. Chicago? I never want to leave. See lots of shows, not enough, Harvey. There's so many. And Harvey smiled, remembering Michelle and I on stage together. You were so good as the fairy godmother and fairy godfather in Cinderella. That was so much fun. Harvey, that was eighth grade. I know, I know. But it's still my favorite. Around 10 p.m., we pulled into a McDonald's outside of Madison. And after scarfing down my Big Mac, no cheese, chocolate milkshake on the side, Harvey turned to me in the parking lot, keys in hand. Would you maybe want to drive the next leg, he asked. I think I'm ready for a rest. And I jumped at the opportunity. At last, I thought, a chance to listen to some normal music. So I found a Rihanna jam on the radio, clicked on my seatbelt, and turned onto the freeway. So, I asked Harvey, sitting up and adjusting the mirrors. You come down to Chicago for work a lot? Yeah, I'm down a few times a year. Did you get to do anything fun while you were here? I did. I saw Wicked, actually. My client took me. Have you seen it? Have I seen Wicked? <laughs> How are the seats? Great seats. Orchestra level. Dead center. That's awesome. So, so your client and you, you must be, like, pretty close then. Yeah, we, um, it's actually kind of strange, but we, um, we dated in college. <laughs> I snorted. That's super awkward. <laughs> Well, it's been quite a few years, Oz. You know, these things matter less when you're older. So, what's her name? I asked. And a breath. He took off his glasses. He folded them in his lap slowly as he looked up at me, his face stark naked. Michael, he said. Oh, Michael. He lives in the suburbs. We keep it casual when I'm here. You know, he tells his wife he's out of town. We share a hotel room, one of the nice hotels, because my company pays for it. We were at the Marriott this time. And my face must have been concerned, because he quickly followed up with, It's nothing serious, Oz. I mean, we don't have sex. It's more just mutual masturbation. <laughs> and I tensed up, gripping the wheel and sitting up straight. Oh, um, well, that's, that's good. And my mind was racing because, see, I was 18 and there were a lot of things at this point that I didn't know. Not that. No, I knew all about that. Sex was the only part of sexuality that I understood. No, I didn't know that it was okay in moments like this to say stop. That, that a conversation is a two-way street that both parties have to agree to walk down. When talk would get serious, I would just chug my drink and get a refill. But here in the car, there was no easy out. So, um, is this a regular thing? Every time I come to Chicago, for years now, 
really pretty much since college. Oh. Um, but you don't have sex. Is that weird? It's what we've agreed is best. Sometimes it's harder than others. This time especially. And my stomach churned. Um, okay. Uh, are there other guys? Just Michael. For now. And I was beginning to get very nervous. Sam had just joked about this hours ago. It had seemed such an impossibility, but this was beginning to feel unsafe because he's an older man, I thought. One who just got done with this trip where he had to suppress his self and his hormones. I I had to get away from this topic. So, um, and I started asking the question before it was fully formed. Um, Does Michelle know? And the moment I asked it, I wished I could just inhale it back into my lips. Because what would I say to Michelle when I saw her? How could I sit with her and and hear about how much she missed her family when I knew it was based on this lie? She called me the next morning. She left a message on my phone. What was it like driving with my dad? He's such a dork. Oh my God, call me back. I can't wait to hear all about it. It was a message I never returned. No, I've decided that I should wait until our youngest is finished with high school. You know, there's no sense in breaking up the family until then. And I did the quick math in my head. That was over three years from now. How could he wait that long? I wondered. How could anybody wait that long? Harvey then leaned against his passenger door, his legs opening into this comfortable V position, and it made my jaw clench. This relaxing movement, it put me on edge. Um, y- your wife, then, sh- she doesn't know either. Just keep him talking, I thought. Keep him away from this pent-up sexual energy that I imagined that he was holding. No, we, we have a complex relationship, my wife and I. And he shifted, and his left hand moved up from his lap, reaching toward me. And this, this moment right here is where I panicked. Holy shit, I thought. Holy shit, it's happening. Holy mother of God, he is moving towards me. Holy fuck, holy fuck, holy fuck. Get that hand away from me and an inch closer. And, and okay, okay, what will I do when he touches me? Okay, he's going to put his hand on my leg and, and I will swerve the car. Yes, I will swerve the car. And if he doesn't let go, then, then I will pull over. Yes, I will pull over and I will call my parents to come pick me up. But fuck, we're like 200 miles away from home. And where's my phone? Damn it, it's in my backpack in the trunk. Holy shit, his hand is still moving closer to me. And okay, okay, maybe maybe I can just get out and, and hitchhike. Fuck, it's cold and it's dark. And damn it. Okay, I'm going to have to fight him. All right, I can take him. I'm like twice his height. He's shaped like a Russian nesting doll. Let's do this, Harvey. Let's dance. And his hand landed on the volume knob. And he turned down Gwen Stefani's if I was a rich girl. And he talked more, relaxing back into his seat as my heart beat a thousand beats per second. I fought to control my breath, keeping this calm exterior as my insides auditioned for the Olympic gymnastics team. He told me how his wife and he had been best friends in high school, but that they hadn't been intimate in years. We both wanted a family. It just made sense. I was too young to know what he was doing, too scared and inexperienced to realize the intentions of his revelation. I didn't know that my generation is an anomaly to Harvey's. When he was my age, AIDS was ravaging a community of outsiders. Fear and hate ran rampant across the country. I was part of the generation that would inspire the Trevor Project and Born This Way and Glee. I grew up watching a lesbian talk show when I came home from school. I saw an out man standing on the floor of the Senate. 
I didn't know the history of homosexuality, didn't realize that my comfortable and supportive experience was not the norm. I didn't know how lucky I was to grow up in this liberal city with parents who would invite gay families over to Sunday night dinner. All I knew then was that Harvey was making me extremely uncomfortable, and I was stuck. So I just kept driving, my nervous hands calm above a sea of fear, and he gradually fell quiet, saying less and less as I began to respond with one-word sentences or grunts. The radio was barely audible over the hum of the engine. He looked out his window, watching the pine trees fly past in the dark, tracing a path with his finger through the light condensation. Harvey fell asleep as we crossed the Minnesota River, mouth open with a slight rhythmic snore. My eyes shook with exhaustion, the blinking green light of the radio reading 1 a.m. and the headlights beaming into the Minnesota welcomes you. And I looked over at Harvey, angry and confused. And what I saw then was a man who made my skin crawl, who I never wanted to see again. When I look back on it, though, I see a man who made himself as vulnerable as he had ever been. His sleep was deep, calm, refreshing, his arms rising and falling over his chest with his breath. I didn't recognize it then, but I know that sleep. It's the kind of sleep you have when you're relieved. What was a moment that you misinterpreted? A moment that you read wrong? That story featured a live sound design from the Harold Washington Trio, with curation from Amanda Delheimer Diamond, Second Story's artistic director, and performance direction from Lee Stark. You can always reach me for comment on this or any other Second Story podcast at ozzy at secondstory.com. Be sure to follow Second Story on Twitter at Second Story or on Instagram at Second Story Chicago to get behind the scenes of our curation process. Second Story podcasts are brought to you in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the City Arts Program, the Chicago Community Foundation, part of the Chicago Community Trust, and the Arts Work Fund. Second Story podcasts are produced by the excellent and wonderful Eric Hazen, with special thanks to Sherry Pentabone and C.P. Chang. I'm Ozzie Totten, and this is The Ozzie Totten Show. (laughs) 